Thinking Liberty, Episode 4. Welcome to Thinking Liberty, the podcast that explores lifestyles of freedom-minded individuals. Join us as we discuss work, hobbies, health, learning, and more while living a travel-orientated lifestyle. Be curious, be open, be inspired, be free. And now, here are your hosts, Zach and Sarah Varnell. Hey everyone, welcome to Thinking Liberty episode 4. We're coming to you from our mobile studio currently parked in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, we just got into Chattanooga a couple days ago, um, and this is actually kind of home territory for us. We both grew up just outside of here in Chickamauga, Georgia, uh, so we're actually not going to go too much into the details of Chattanooga right now because, like you said, we just got in, so we haven't done too much of this visit, and we'd li- really like to do um, a separate episode for Chattanooga and then, of course, give you some tips for traveling in that episode as well. So we'll save Chattanooga for another time, uh, so we're going to go Go ahead and dive on into our interview this time. Uh, our interview is with Stephen Coffey. He is currently living in Atlanta, Georgia, and he is working on his way to becoming a full digital nomad. He is an entrepreneur. He has a business partner, and they've got their own company that they're building out, and it's kind of taking off a little bit. Uh, They would be able to work from anywhere in the world because everything they do is online and digital. Uh, He also currently works two other jobs and he has, uh, he'll tell you a little bit more about those arrangements. But right now what he does is he works for about three weeks out of the month and then he takes a week off every month to travel anywhere he wants to in the world. And he has an itinerary built out where basically every month he's going to a new destination. So we will go ahead and dive on in and let him tell you more about himself. What did really make me want to interview you to begin with is I saw your post from a couple months back or something about your itinerary for this year where you were going to basically be in a new place every month. And, you know, when I met you in the past and, you know, we were Facebook friends, I didn't realize that you traveled so much. So is that, you know, something you've been doing for a while and are those, you know, still your plans for this year? Those are still my plans for this year, absolutely. But um, this is the first year I've ever actually traveled out of the U.S. It's it's all brand new to me. Cool. So how did you get into this arrangement where you know you're able to just you know plan out your whole year around travel like this? Well, I uh, I came across an opportunity with a good friend of mine to open a business together, um, which allowed me to have a little bit more freedom with my life and where I want to go with things. Um, definitely make my own hours force my own money. But it also opened up a window for us to go travel as uh, business partners. So he invited me to Iceland. And then the minute I stepped foot in another country, I realized I had to have way more of it, just way, way more of it. Um, So I came home from Iceland. I quit my nine to five job. And then I just started finding odd jobs that didn't give me schedules like serving. Um, And I did those and ran my business. Cool. So was your um, nine or was your business immediately successful enough for you to quit your job or were you kind of going out on a limb there? Uh, it was a small limb. Now, it's still not super successful. We've paid back everything we put into the business, but we're currently fighting to find new customers, which is within reason, given we're only three months old. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it, I, I went out on a small limb. I had a small savings, and I had a job that was making fairly good money at, at the restaurant. So I wasn't worried. All my bills were paid. You know, there was a there was a small window, but there were moments, um, especially when I was overseas, that I would get dangerously close to running out of cash, which is very hectic when you travel. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess I got a little bit ahead of myself, too, but I didn't know that about you, so I wanted to explore that a little bit. But can you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and hobbies, interests, anything like that, maybe that is relevant to this? Yeah, sure. So, uh I've been in Atlanta for four years. I used to live in East Tennessee, where I was born and, well, not born, but raised. Um, I pretty much grew up in the mountains. I had a very free childhood, uh, very little rules, because there wasn't much around me. And I had a father who worked very hard. Taught me the, definitely taught me the value of hard work. But as I got older and got out of Tennessee, uh, I started finding a different style of life outside of the country. And I realized that a lot of people work really hard, but not a lot of them actually enjoy their lives. I mean, even really successful people spend most of their year inside their office. Uh, It's kind of horrifying, really. Uh, And I did that for a while. I came here um, basically out of a farm life. I used to work for the the government, uh, the, the Department of the Interior, making maps. So I've done nothing more than being outside pretty much my whole working life. Uh, and then I came into this corporate atmosphere where is it just a lot more dead? I don't know. It, it's hard to explain. They, uh, they, they're just not happy, most of them. And I did that for two years, and I, that was just the end of it. I came to a point where it had been two years, and I'd taken maybe three days worth of vacation. Uh, I was very unhappy, very stressed. wasn't much rich, uh, so it wasn't even worth it on that level. It was just working in an office to maintain. And once I realized you don't have to do that for a living, everything kind of fell into place. Yeah, that I makes think any a lot sense. of people can really relate to that. Um, you do kind of get into a rut of a routine and it can be hard to break out of. So it's really cool that you did that. Um, tell me a little bit about your company. So you said that you founded it yourself about three months ago. No, yeah. I mean, my business partner, uh, we're a veteran owned, uh, local eco-friendly cleaning business. Uh, we have a cleaning platform set up online. You can request us from anywhere within Atlanta, and we show up to give you a quote, and then we send cleaners out, set up a contract. It's a pretty simple concept. Uh, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to provide a, a simple and necessary service. Yeah, try but, to organize it, make it a little bit more simple for the customer. Oh, absolutely. But also, the business doesn't require us to actually be there ever. We have no central office. Everything's run offline. The only time we show up is when there's a fire. Uh, we have contractors that do all of our work, and we basically just send them out on everything. We can do this job from anywhere in the world. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's uh, that's kind of the freedoms we were fighting for, me and my business partner. We want to be uh, nomadic with our jobs. Yeah, so is that what your uh, main priority was when you guys decided to branch off on your own and take that step? Or was it just something where you realized, oh, hey, we're nomadic, we can go anywhere, and then you decided to take advantage of it? Uh, No, it was painted to me when he brought me in on the idea uh, as being a way to escape the office. You know, when I think when friends want to sell each other on a business idea, they try to, to really make it seem as reasonable as possible. 
so that you don't feel like you're throwing money into a pit. But he straight up just came up and said, hey, I have a business that'll help you quit your job. And it sounded like the most ridiculous thing ever. And then I sat and listened to him. So that that works. Yeah. yeah. So he sold it well. It's not hard to sell, I guess, that idea that you can be free and still work. It's good that you knew early on that this could be something that you used to be nomadic because... Like when I got my remote job, it took me like a year of working from home to realize, why am I doing this? Let's get out and do something. So So when did you realize that, you know, or you said that you realized, I guess, two years into your corporate job that it wasn't for you. Was it at that point that you realized you really wanted to work uh, remotely and travel? Or was it when you got this job that you kind of realized, you know, it's possible, so let's do it? It was, yeah, definitely after the fact. When I got this job, I started seeing a possibility of being able to travel more. And bit by bit, other small things fell into place that made it seem more reasonable. Um, you know, I looked at a lot of people who did nomadic working, uh, digital nomads, and they always seem like they're on such a high level uh, on what they do, and they did a lot of work to get there that it seems almost impossible. But when you really look at the small steps you have to take, each and every month, I mean, you, you can do it within a year easily. You can, within a year, dedicate yourself to being a digital nomad and be successful. So what are some of your small steps that you would recommend to people to do every month? If they're looking to get out of a life where they're working somebody else's schedule, uh, the first thing they should do is start looking for jobs that offer them more freedom. Yeah, it's and funny because... A lot of jobs, even in corporate environments, I feel like there's no point in actually being in an office. Like you work from the office and sometimes you even VPN in to, you know, another place while you're in the office or something like that. So it just feels completely useless and pointless to be in an office. And the only thing standing in between somebody working from home or working remotely is convincing somebody else to do it. So I guess it's good that you know, you're your own boss in this case, and you don't really need to convince anybody. Yeah, yeah, that is another great aspect of it. Um, but honestly, you know, that when you, the, I think, I feel like the best part, the thing that's most rewarding is that first day you wake up, and you realize you don't have to go into an office to do a job you could do from anywhere. I mean, it. it's like an aggravating thought, because a lot of people shouldn't be going to their offices. It's a waste. It's a waste of fuel. It's a waste of your day. It's also a waste of company resources to be buying office spaces for a lot of these jobs that can be done remotely. I mean, what is the point of us dressing up in suits and driving around all the time anymore? It's like you're reading our CEO's mind. (laughs) That's what he says a lot. It's like, yeah, fortunately, we work for somebody who gets that. So that's amazing. That is amazing. It's still rare. Even with new businesses, they... They all want to go back to that old standard. I don't know why. So in the amount of time that you've been doing this, is there anything that you've already learned that maybe you wish you would have known when you started out? Oh, God, yeah. How many scam jobs are out there? That is the thing I wish I knew before I jumped into any field, really. Atlanta is a, is a really bad spot for when you go to do job searches on pretty much any website, which is the only way to get jobs anymore unless you know somebody. There's so many of these these wonderful posts, and they're, they're always really well-painted posts about the perfect job, the perfect thing. And you think in your head, there's no way that's possible. But 
you think also, well, it's worth a shot. Like, I'll submit my resume. I'll go spend five minutes with them. And then every time it turns out being just like a scammy, go sell door-to-door crap sort of situation. Yeah. yeah. And sell for free at the beginning until you're trained. And yeah. then maybe we'll talk about paying you. I spent like two months going to those interviews. At the, at the end of them, uh, whenever I'd walk into an interview and I realized I was being had, I was like, well, I'm here. I might as well mess with these people. So I just completely botched the uh, the sign-in and the questionnaires. And when they did the like the initial interview, because they always want to seem professional, they sit you down with the boss and ask questions. What a waste. So I would just, you know, generally try my best to humiliate him professionally. Yeah. Wasting my time. <laughs> yeah, well, they make you feel guilty for leaving, so you might as well mess with them if they're going right. to give you that kind of pressure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's really too bad that there's so many, you know, scam jobs like that, too, because it creates an environment where there's a lot, you know, a big section of the population who just hears remote job or work from home and they immediately think scam, even though there are plenty of legitimate ones out there. And really, more of them should be becoming remote or work from home. Yeah. You know, honestly, a good way to eliminate that would be for people to start actually suggesting to their companies that jobs could be done more remotely. I mean, there's certainly a level to most jobs now that can be done not inside the office, a huge level. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we walk around with an office in our pockets all the time. We have everything we need on a cell phone. I mean, maybe you can't do major computer work, but most office work could be done from a cell phone. I mean, standalone. And so many companies these days are outsourcing work to third parties in other countries. I mean, why not just pay somebody a little bit less and let them work from their house and then you don't have to outsource as much too. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's because the money they would make even just outsourcing that work would be a profit to them. But the trade-off to, to not outsourcing is they get quality products. You know, when they're when they're made within country and they're made with integrity by happy people, you get better, better things. So I feel like companies would be offering better lifestyles to people especially the harder workers. I think the harder you work, the better the lifestyle payoff should be. Cool. So now that you have this nomadic job, like what kind of percentage of the year do you plan on traveling or, you know, what do you have planned out so far? Are you going to play it by ear? No, it is a little by ear. I have a, I have a setup for the next three months. Um, but the deal is that I work basically three jobs, uh, six days a week for three straight weeks, which sounds crazy. But on the very last week of every month, I take the entire week off and I go wherever in the world I want to go. That's all I do every month. It's it's a bit more work, but at the end of the year, I will be taking over three months of vacation, which is almost unheard of in any job field. Yeah. That's great. So yeah. um, I think I remember you putting on Facebook once too that you had a special situation with your apartment to where you you know live extremely cheaply. Is that still the deal too? Absolutely, yeah. That has been a very helpful thing. I kind of uh, fell into. I found a, a homeowner who travels and does translations for uh, medical facilities. He he speaks like five languages, and all he does is people from different parts of the world call him, and he translates different languages medical speak style too it's very intense but uh he believes in traveling and getting out and he has a room in this house that's you know it's a locker it's a nine by 16 room but it's absolutely dirt cheap and then i maintain the house because i own the cleaning company 
and he cuts off from the rent. I think at the end of the month, I pay something around $105 for rent or something. Wow. Yeah, which helps really with the traveling because I get to save way more money. Um, and I can put back for a mortgage, should that ever be an option as well. So I just encourage people to also look into their budget. It's not about just getting a job that uh, makes more money or gives you more freedom. It's also looking at the things in your life you may not need or the things you're spending on that could be certainly cut into. And there's a lot of opportunities if you if you spend a little while looking. Yeah, it's definitely a common complaint, I guess, that people don't have enough money to travel. But I think, you know, it's all about priorities. And sounds like you're making it a priority, so there's money for it when other people, you know, are spending it on more expensive apartments or houses or just whatever, rather than making travel a priority. Yeah, and that... I feel like that's a really bad trade-off, especially for the apartment, because you're never going to own that thing. You're basically just paying a lot for a rented space. So, uh, you know, an apartment is not an investment ever. I mean, I get it. People want to live nice, but that money is just being thrown away. So you might as well spend as little as possible. Yeah, so I guess it's all about, you know, figuring out first, you know, what is your priority? And if your priority is wanting to travel, then it goes back to, like what you said, taking small steps every month. And one of those is going to be making sure that you're not spending too much on rent or phone bills or cable bills and just kind of prioritizing your resources. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is such a money hole. (laughs) (laughs) That was another thing I cut back on. So, you know, it's, it's so much cheaper to buy your beer and just have it at your house with your buddies than it is to go out. It cut probably $2,000 a year off of my spending. Just not drinking every time I go out. Wow, that's nice. Oh yeah, it's really nice. Cool, so what are some of the highlights of you know your travels so far? You mentioned Iceland, and I know I saw a couple you know pretty cool foreign-looking pictures of yours on Facebook. So what have you been up to since you've started this? The journey. Yeah. Um, so Iceland was in January, uh, the very last week of January. And it was it was just an entire uh, week, week and two day stretch of us leaving the city. We left uh, Reykjavik, just a place you, you don't you don't want to stay in Reykjavik for more than probably a day or two. There's just not much there. And it's expensive. Uh, I think it's more expensive than New York City, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's very, very pricey place. Great food, though. Never eaten better in my entire life. And I mean that wholeheartedly. All of their food is top quality. And they have health standards, which is something that, as an American, I have no concept of. So that was a bit of a shock, but a good one. Um, So we just traveled the entire countryside. We left Reykjavik and drove as far out east and south as we possibly could. Uh, We made it a point each day to see as much as we could, see some giant glacier or a field um, the thing about Iceland is that it, it's literally a, uh, a wall top or uh, a wall. What are they? A screensaver. What do they call that? A wallpaper everywhere yeah. you look. Yeah. It's like a computer wallpaper everywhere you look. It's an absolutely fascinating place. Um, there's also very few animals there. Uh, saw two animals the whole time I was there. I saw a bird and a fish and that, that was about it. No sheep. They have sheep, but they're kind of. I mean, they're brought there by the farmers. They have no other... There's no wildlife there, really. Uh, um, which is something that okay. I have never seen before. It's very odd. 
but their ecosystem doesn't really support that much. Uh, some grass and some small birds. Um, so that was January. Uh, I came back. Uh, it was actually a little bit warmer in Iceland than it was in Atlanta, which was shocking. Because Iceland should be a lot colder. A whole lot yeah, colder. Yeah, that is kind of surprising. I guess just differences on the equator line. But Atlanta gets surprisingly cold in the winter. Yeah, yeah we, we had a bit of a chill this winter. But the, the big thing about Iceland was that it's, it's one of those spots where you can really see uh, a hotter planet, a global warming really taking effect. I mean, it was so mild over there, and it was supposed to be one of the roughest places to experience a winter. And you can, uh, you can look around and see that the changes that are happening to their climate are not healthy ones. Yeah, um, I'm sure. They're torrent, yeah. They're, they're absolutely destructive. But I came back from, here, or from there, um, and then the third week in February, my birthday, me and a friend went to Thailand. I've been wanting to go there for 20 years. Finally went. And that is the exact opposite of Iceland. A live party, millions upon millions of people all around you at all times. Always noise. Always. I've never experienced in my life such noise. Um, it, was, it was so great that you don't realize it for the first few days you're there. You're just enjoying yourself. There's so much to see and do. And then you, uh, you get to a spot where for a few seconds there's no sound and it starts to hurt it's like a, a small headache and you're like what the what the hell is going on here and then you realize it's your ears trying to adapt to not hearing anything it's maddening but, that's uh, really interesting though yeah and i i really suggest that anyone go to thailand uh it's an expensive plane ticket but once you get there i mean the, the dollar is 35 to 1 you can live yeah, like a king on 100 dollars so in a week i mean absolutely nothing you can get a beautiful high-rise apartment it's sixty dollars for the entire week and the city is so full of things to do you'll get lost you'll get lost walking just down the street because you'll end up stopping at every little detail shop every every food stall it's a fantastic experience yeah it's definitely on my bucket list of places to visit yeah, it seems to be a very popular digital nomad uh, destination just for that reason, because everything's super cheap. And I don't know about Thailand, but I know there's several places in Southeast Asia where the Internet is surprisingly good and it's pretty reliable so you can work from there. Yeah, I would agree. Um, in fact, they're, they're a little more advanced than us on some things. Their, their Internet does have, a, have an issue with it. Um, a lot of people don't know when you go to Thailand, you can't access porn at all. Zero. Um, so if you go to Thailand and you're, you're having yourself aroused or whatever, you should be aware that there's not going to be much that pops up, which is something I wasn't aware of. Um, but it's a fascinating fact. They've just outlawed all pornography completely. Oh, that's, wow. uh, that's not a part of life they understand out there. I don't even but, see how that would be possible. Yeah, it's very different. It's very different. Because you, you, everyone thinks of Thailand as this uh, sex hub you know, where you can buy people on the streets for, you know, whatever you please, which in itself is true, but to them, it's not as much of a sexual thing as we make it. Uh, it's, it's a therapeutic thing to them, which was the very surprising part of a lot of things in Thailand. They live a life that seems really hectic, 
but they're yeah. very calm, very nice people. One of the people. cool things of traveling is just getting to see how the different cultures are and just really getting new perspectives on, you know, what's normal behavior to them versus what's normal behavior to us and just really getting to compare and contrast and learn more. Yeah, and you, you pick up some weird ones. Um, oh, I do suggest if you ever go to Thailand to not touch anything with your left hand. They are uh, very strict about that. Definitely don't use your left hand for any any social engagement or shaking hands. Is there a reason for that? Do you know, or is it just? It's still an unclean hands? hand to them. You use your left hand to basically do minor tasks. It's never to touch uh, another person's hand or body. Okay, interesting. I kind of an old world value. To, yeah, I wonder if that goes back to when uh, I know some cultures used to think that people with left hands were like demon possessed or something like that. Right, yeah, that's the that's the unholy hand. Um, I think more historically, it's the fact that previous to modern plumbing, that was the hand by which you were just designated to do the cleaning. Um, and I, I think that's just gone synonymous. I, I would assume that in a culture where you're using your hand to clean yourself, you probably don't want to be touched by that hand very often. So were there any other customs or you know things that were difficult for you to get used to in either Iceland or Thailand? Iceland, no. Um, Iceland is full of tourists, more tourists than people. Uh, so it's a very easy spot to, to get around. Everyone in Iceland speaks English for the most part. Uh, your card will work everywhere. They're very, they're very advanced in Iceland when it comes to collecting money and speaking pretty much every language that comes through. Thailand was a little more confusing. Um, cash market, for the most part. Uh, so you had to walk around with wads of money at all times. But it was beautiful money. It, it feels strange because when you... They're called bot. So when you get them, you know, it's 35 to 1. So you get $30 exchanged and you're getting 350 of their dollars. And if you just got this huge wad of cash in your hand to pay out for things. It changes the way you look at payments, though, because... I was going down the street and I was like, look at all these deals that in America would be four and five times more expensive. But I was still haggling with them. I was like, oh man, I don't really want to give you 50 more baht than this is worth. But then in my head, I was like, but that's barely even, uh, you know, a penny or two back home. So what am I doing? It, it'll kind of catch you off guard. Small things will catch you off guard. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard not to haggle when you're in a culture that's that's what they do. Um you kind of feel out of place if you're not going along with the other market values that people are doing. Yeah. And you can offend them actually, if you don't haggle. Um, some cultures will, will get quite offended if you don't at least try to bargain with them. So did you have any particularly difficult experiences in either of these places or was it <laughs> you know, pretty easy for you? No, there uh, I've been blessed with extremely horrific and hilarious uh, luck. So uh, each place has had their own joyous moment of just horrifying things. Uh, Thailand is probably the best one. So I go to Thailand and I do my usual morning routine, which is to, to get in the shower and brush my teeth and, you know, get clean. And in a, in a place like Bangkok, it gets to be 80 degrees by, I don't know, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. So you want to be clean before you go out. So there I'm gargling water out of the faucet. And I step out and dry off, and I'm like, man, I'm already hot. It must be very hot outside. Continued through my day, and I realized that I was unusually hot. Like, I just kept getting hotter. And I was like, this is not, this is not normal. 
And then I started getting lightheaded. And then I couldn't focus. And I was like, I know what's going on. I have immediately contracted a fever of some type. So don't drink the water in Thailand. Um, It looks clean, but given what their rivers look like and how they they don't have a recycling program uh, that's very big. So a lot of trash goes into the river. And then they just kind of filter water out of that to use. And it's not always a good filter system. So I got a, a horrific fever. And my uh, traveling partner had to take me down the street to a pharmacy of all places. And uh, I explained my symptoms to a a Chinese doctor who spoke English. And he explained exactly what I had contracted, um, some type of illness given drinking water. And then he immediately handed me medicine. It was, uh, as an American, I've never seen that before. He was like, oh, you're sick. Yeah, It's exactly what you need. (laughs) Yeah, there was no catch. He just literally handed it to me. Um, Pretty serious drugs, actually. Cost me two dollars. Two American dollars. And then I walked home. Um, Took the medicine and was fine by the next day. But I spent the whole time thinking about it. You know, in America, if I'd gotten that sick, like what... How much would it have cost? Could I have afforded it? And the answer is absolutely not. I'd have to go to a hospital. And yeah, and it definitely wouldn't have been that quick either. It would have no, been no. Several and they don't just hand you the things you need. Yep, then you have to go to the separate pharmacy and, yeah. Right. Jump through hoops. At least a whole day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely not going to be $2. No. So I was surprised by that. Um, very surprised kind of worried for when I was coming home if I should continue living in America. That When I was in Thailand, I was contemplating looking at other countries to actually live in uh, probably permanently. Yeah, I we mean, toy I, with that idea from time to time as well, but we haven't made any any major jumps towards that yet. Yeah, I think it, it has to be a well-informed decision. Um, America is very beautiful, very beautiful country, and it's got a lot going on for it. But it's got a lot to work on as well. Um, and I think some other places kind of have some better ideas going on right now yeah i think i think you could say that same for every country though there's always something that other countries you know need to yeah there are always those some things but uh you know i've been in america pretty much my whole life and i i see a place that's changing slowly but sometimes we also change for the worse we kind of go backwards as a country so is living abroad something you're still thinking about, or have you oh, decided absolutely. to maybe just be all over the place? Yeah, the, the plan is still to continue traveling for at least a year. And then uh, at the beginning of next year, I'm hoping to either to buy a small home here or a, a smaller home in another country. And then uh, just have a base of operations to which I can always go back to. But definitely not stay in the same place for more than a few weeks at a time. So are you going to be working some of the time or do you work while you travel or are you completely just like traveling in your time off? Yeah, traveling only, um, which is hard to do sometimes because I even I get afraid to go travel, um, packing up all my things, going through the hassle. But I do nothing but travel when I travel. I only enjoy my experiences as much as I can enjoy them. No work. Yeah. Well, it's really amazing that you're able to prioritize your time off that way and making sure that you have that one week a month to just focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. And getting my employers to, uh, to agree on it was surprisingly easy. Actually. Um, I thought they were going to give me a lot more resistance, 
but it turns out if you work three times as hard, they'll uh, they'll gladly give you a little in return. Yeah. So, uh, do you mind sharing with us who your other two employers are? Yes. So I work for a nonprofit called uh, Friends of English Avenue, and then I also work for another part of their company called Gordon Document Products. I pretty much run their office, keep everything running for them, come in when they need me. It's a it's a part time gig. Um, they're a smaller office. They really don't need me around much. Okay. But basically, I pop in to fulfill any role from top to bottom uh, whenever they require it. But they always understand that that last week is my week off. So what was the negotiation process like for that? Do you have any tips for anyone who might be thinking of trying to move that way themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if they're a good businessman, if they're, if they're a person who's run the business properly, they'll understand a trade-off. So I pitched it as a way for the company to save money and a way for me to be a better employee, to, to offer them more. So I offered them, I think, a lot more in return than I got back from what they saw. But to me, the ability to travel is just, it's, it's the ultimate goal. Yeah, so I guess they're paying you one last week a month, but then you're working harder the three weeks you're there. So in their mind, it's kind of an easy, easy decision there. Yeah, yeah, it was a very easy decision for me to make. Um, I just started looking around at what what I was doing. I mean, this all work consists of constantly doing some small activity based on somebody else's schedule. And it can be so tiring sometimes when you really get into it because you're not doing anything you want to do. You're not growing, really. I mean, when you get really good at a job, you can uh, you can do it all day without even thinking. And I feel like that doesn't that doesn't add anything to us as humans. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going, oh, man, that is exactly me right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was me not, not even that long ago. Um, very fresh, I feel. And it, it can be catastrophic at times. I must, I, you know, I got to warn everybody that going for this is certainly taking a shot into something growing, but definitely new. And there's going to be a lot of failures. There were a lot of times I was broke, a um, whole lot of times. But I just kept at it, you know, um, try every avenue that pops up, look into everything, try everything you can. You'll find small ways I've figured out throughout the world, just like little tiny doors to open up and go into. And if you open enough of them, you eventually end up where you want to be. So out of all the destinations that you have planned for this year, are there any other ones that, you know, maybe you've been looking forward to or been making it a goal to travel to for a while? Uh, Madagascar, yeah. That's going to be a really big uh, destination for me. I have a huge love for Madagascar. Um, it's a very strange place. Very exotic world. Yeah, I think that's high on Zach's list of places that he wants to go, actually. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful out there. Yeah, I can never prioritize. I just want to go everywhere. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's also an issue. <laughs> you know, they... Uh, Signing up for these cheap flight websites is a good way to travel, actually, because sometimes they'll suggest places that you would never think of, um, like Mauritius, uh, a very wonderful island that is technically owned by Spain, I believe, just way out in the ocean. Um, giant volcano, very lush scenery, beautiful beaches, nothing there. It's just a big, gorgeous, separate country, uh, but definitely something That's that people should go, go see. So is that on your list for this year? No, no. Um, uh -oh. Tickets to Mauritius can be can be really, really expensive. So it's going to uh -oh. be another time. Um, the only other really exotic place I want to go this year is the Basque region of Spain. 
this wonderful region where it's French and Spanish culture wound together. And they're very beautiful. They live in the woods. It's kind of a mystical sort of thing. Um, and not far away from them is a little place called Andorra. And Andorra is this tiny little independent government, uh, a city government, essentially. It's a giant city shoved in between two mountains. Uh, one mountain is owned by France and the other one is owned by Spain. So they have the mix and culture of both Spain and France, but they're also an independent culture of them entirely. And it's, it's an amazing place. Yeah, I learned about uh, Andorra back when I was reading some folk legend called like the mystery man from Tarid or something. And it was funny because it was about some man who landed in Japan and had a passport from a country who never doesn't exist. And it was located exactly where Andorra is, but wasn't real. And it's an interesting story, even though, you know, none of it's true, but (laughs) that is an interesting story. I like that. Yeah, are you are you planning any really crazy trips this year? Do you have any ideas where you want to go? We are focusing on U.S. travel, I think, for this year. Um, Ooh, last yeah. year, we spent two months in South America, uh, and that was just a really long uh, period to be away. So we're catching up with family some, and uh, we've been wanting to RV up, uh, up the East Coast into Maine. So we're going to do that some this summer. Um, cause that's been on my bucket list for like 10 years now. So we're going to do that. But then next year, uh, we're going to head off to Italy and we're toying around with some other ideas, but haven't gotten too far into planning yet. Very good journeys though. Um, I think a travel across the U S is to be encouraged. Yeah. I definitely want to hit all the 50 states. What's that? I definitely want to hit all the 50 states. Yes. Yes. Yeah, each one has a, a special little spot, you know, uh, a nice city and a, a cool thing to see, or at least a few of them. Yeah, um, definitely. And we have so many, um, you know, national parks and state parks, and they all have, you know, different hiking trails and the oh, yeah. beaches and the coasts are different in each state. And yeah, there's just a lot. to And see. just weird stuff out there. Um, near us, we have something called the Georgia Guidestones, which I'd never yeah. heard about until I came here. Marvelous and weird little thing. Just these 20 ton monuments in eight languages in the middle of a cow field in the middle yeah, of nowhere. So yes. Like, why is this in Georgia again? Like- yeah. yeah. And it's talking about basically how to run the world, including eugenics. So it's yeah. strange. <laughs> the yeah. rules aren't that bad, actually. <laughs> One of the States that we were, you know, haven't been to yet. And is on our list is, uh, West Virginia, and I was just looking up stuff to do there, and apparently there's a giant golden Krishna temple there. It's like I would have had no idea that that's in West Virginia, but it does seem like each state has these weird things that would just blow your mind, and you know you don't really think of them when you know you picture that state. West Virginia is a very weird state. Um, I actually surveyed a big portion of it in the winter of 2010 uh, oh, cool. with. Oh, they had a power company out there that was hiring me to do surveys. West Virginia is very beautiful. It's it's exactly like Tennessee in the landscape, except every few mountains you'll come over the top of it, and then the entire mountain will just be missing, which is the strangest thing in my life I've ever seen. I mean, you walk over a hill, 
and you, you know that there should be a mountain there, but there's just like a flat, empty patch of giant rocks. Yeah, it's like, all right, who stole this? Please put it back. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of that state is mining-based. So once the mines shut down, the towns shut down. So you'll, yeah. you'll be traveling all over West Virginia and all these pocket towns where there's nobody living in them. And there's these, like, old lines and homes. It was very, very creepy and mysterious. Very strange. A lot of things hidden in West Virginia. Yeah, I've driven through it dozens of times on my way to visit family in Pennsylvania, but never stopped other than for, like, a quick uh, desperation trip at a gas station. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely interested in exploring it more. And I know Tennessee and then probably West Virginia, too, because the landscape is another one of those places where I feel like you can just point your phone in any direction and take a picture. And you've taken basically a desktop wallpaper, like you said earlier. So, like, yeah. such beautiful states. Tennessee, I mean, especially back back home, uh, Johnson City and Irwin, I mean, that's just gorgeous countryside. You, you really can't beat that. Rolling mountains, uh, hills, uh, giant streams tucked away into the mountains. I mean, waterfalls everywhere. So did you grow up any uh, close to any cities, or was it just completely like mountains and small towns? I mean, it, it was Irwin, so it was pretty much uh, a very tiny mountain small town. And I went to an even tinier country school in a place called Jonesboro. It's the oldest town in Tennessee. Um, a very, very rural, but very beautiful. A lot of, uh, a lot of scenery to be seen every day going to school. Because I would leave the mountains and go into the countryside. Um, and i got to say, that's an experience that was uh, very, very rewarding growing up. Yeah, it sounds like the perfect environment to grow up in. Yeah. I had a professor, actually. Um, he said that East Tennessee is a great place to grow up and grow old, but nothing in between. <sighs> I can that see that, perfectly yeah. perfectly paints it. Yeah, we grew up um, just outside just over the border in Georgia, really close to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so um, part of my years, I lived on Lookout Mountain, but then would drive down into the small town of Chickamauga, Georgia for high school. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's kind of that same thing where it was fun when I was little. And then eventually we just had to move away and explore and see more things. But you got to get out of there. I would like to definitely would like to live in the mountains again when I'm older. Yeah, I think I'll definitely return to mountains. I don't know if they'll be the ones I was raised in, but something about mountain living is so charming. It's quiet. It's it's hard to maintain, but it's charming. Yeah, we actually just um, came back home to visit, and we're uh, at Raccoon Mountain in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we parked our RV, and we were getting out and getting set up, and uh, a storm was rolling in. And it was just that smell of a storm that I think you yes. only find when you're in the valley next to a mountain. It was just so like familiar. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being hit by waves of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, they do have their own wonderful smell. It's very true. It is very true. They're very lush, too, is what I love growing up. Trees everywhere. So going back to your journeys, um, do you have a single book or resource that you use when you're planning travels or when you're trying to decide how best to prioritize things that you would recommend to people? Now, Reddit is what I'm going to suggest. Um, Super helpful community when it comes to traveling. And honestly, there's a subreddit for just about every country and city in the entire world. And on those Reddits, there are moderators who 
will most of them will host you in their actual house. Um, they'll give you great tourist destinations. They'll set you up with everything you need to know. Reddit has been an invaluable resource of information. I mean, they, they link to everything on the internet, so it's it's not like I go shopping around anymore. Um, yeah. But travel books, old travel books can still have good secrets. If you can get them cheap and they pack in easy, always grab a good travel book. All right, so I guess just to wrap up, um, if you had one piece of advice to offer others who might be trying to live a lifestyle more like the one you're living now, what would that be? Hmm. Prepare for a struggle because it's not going to be easy. Um, that's, that's something that I don't feel like they paint very well. This lifestyle is very possible, but you, you can't do it halfway. You can't be lazy. Um, if you're going to go for it, you have to go for it 100% with this because it's a very small field. Um, it's a very enjoyable payout life, but you, you definitely have to be ready to sacrifice for it. Conventional relationships will become a lot harder as well for very obvious reasons. Um, mostly because your partner will get jealous that you're traveling so much and they're in the office. Yeah, no one likes being left behind. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, some people, they have their own living and they, they want to be in for the journey, but they got to make their money and pay their mortgages. And that's, you know, that's their journey too. Yeah, and each unique individual has their own unique set of priorities and goals and passions that they need to follow, so. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's my piece of advice. Just be prepared for a long struggle, but it's it's very attainable. Awesome. So we'll have to follow along and, you know, see all the places that you go this year and maybe have you on later to talk about it all, you know, find out your plans for later, even after that, and, you know, what your year was like. Very well. Yeah, um, I would love to. Uh, I should be going to New York in a few days. Haven't been there in a while. It's it's more of a local trip, but New York City is an experience to be had. Yeah, it's always worth it for a trip up there and see something on Broadway. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, um, I'm glad to have you follow along. I'll try to keep you folks posted. Right, so that was a really good interview with Stephen Coffey. Uh, thanks again so much for joining us. It was really interesting to hear about his travels and also how he prioritizes things in his life to allow traveling. I think it's really important to kind of talk about um, how people prioritize things in their lives. Uh, different people have different interests and hobbies and passions and so different people, everybody's going to make their own priorities and set their own goals and I think that's really amazing that there are so many different people in this world that have so many different things that they want to pursue and follow but if you are stuck in a place where you feel like you really want to travel more and that's something that you want to make your passion I think it's important to think about some of the things that we touched on in this interview it really is about prioritizing the things in your life so um, Stephen's in a really good position where he's not paying much for rent because he's renting a very small space in someone's house who is gone a lot so it doesn't bother her to have somebody there um and then, like he said, he doesn't spend as much on entertainment. He doesn't drink out. He prefers to drink in with some friends, um, better conversation that way. And he just really focuses on saving his money for what matters to him, and that's traveling and getting out there. And then also, it can be scary to talk to your bosses about you know what you want out of the company and what you want out of your life. But it's 
never hurts to take that step and take that risk. Uh, Zach and I, you know, we were working based out of Atlanta and he took that chance and he took that step and asked, you know, hey, since we're working remotely anyway, uh, let's travel full time. And his boss was actually excited about the idea and said, sure, go for it. So we've been doing that for almost two years now. And with Steven, it was more complicated because he is stationary for two of his jobs currently. But he really took the time to show them how much better of an employee he could be if he was getting to do the things he wanted to do. So it's, you know, taking risks, making your priorities. And I think that's important to keep in mind with any passion or goal that you want to pursue. So his is travel and that's what he's been focusing on. And I think that's a really cool uh, thing to take away from this. Yeah, it seems pretty common among digital nomads that maybe they fell into a career or didn't quite realize that they could be a digital nomad when they first started some job, but then it dawns on them that this is something they can do. So maybe in that respect, they almost get a little lucky. But from there, that's not usually enough. You have to engineer the rest of your life to be able to do this and get over the goal line into becoming an actual digital nomad. And, you know, in Steven's case, it seems like he's trying to become, you know, an entrepreneur. So eventually one day he'll be completely online doing that. And then in the rest of his life, he's, you know, talked to his bosses. So that's great. And, you know, I've heard other people doing both of those things. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So please check out our show notes page at thinkingliberty.com slash four. And we'll link to Stephen's company there and we'll drop any other resources and links that we mentioned on that page. And then also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a like, a follow there at ListenTL for both of those. Yeah, and if you have any questions, comments, feedback, uh, things that you would like to hear us talk about in the future or suggestions for who to interview in the future, please reach out. We want to hear from you. And lastly, if you guys have been enjoying the show and you think we're adding a little value to your life, please just give us a like, subscribe, follow, comment, rating, anything like that on any of the podcast platforms that you're listening to us on. That would really help us out and help promote the show in these early days. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Thinking Liberty. Subscribe to the show for free on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher at thinkingliberty.com. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, articles by Zach and Sarah, and more. We'll see you next time.